everyone. Welcome to On the Environment, the podcast from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. I'm Alex Cashdan. And I'm Liz Borgay, and we're master's students at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. The school recently hosted the Yale Environmental Dialogue Symposium, a multi-day workshop where academics and practitioners gathered to have conversations and propose new big ideas about today's greatest sustainability challenges. During the symposium, we had a chance to chat with Thomas Lovejoy, who is currently a professor at George Mason University and leads its new Institute for a Sustainable Earth. Since 1973, he has worked at the interface of science and public policy with various positions at the World Wildlife Fund, Smithsonian Institution, and others. He is credited with coining the term biological diversity, and he shared his perspectives on the importance of biodiversity in the face of climate change. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Thomas Lovejoy. Um, We were interested in the fact that you coined the term biodiversity um, and kind of helped to establish the field of conservation biology. Um, As an undergrad, my major was conservation biology, actually. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So I'm really excited to be able to talk to you. And I really want to get your thoughts on how the field is um, evolving. So um, our first question kind of is, are the strategies that conservationists employ now enough, or do we need a complete shift in thinking to truly conserve our world's biodiversity? So I don't think there's any question that what we're doing now is, is clearly insufficient. It's not at the scale of the problem. Uh, and a lot of that, in the end, can be fixed by enhancing people's awareness, uh, A, of the scale and pace of change, but also the reasons for it. Uh, And so lifting people up so that they actually look at the horizon instead of what's just around the corner. Uh, And I think there is a really important transition that needs to be made in terms of society's awareness of the importance of the living world. Uh, And we just, we too easily as social primates get into mutual grooming and forget that (laughs) the rest of the environment is important to us uh, and important in itself. What is the importance of conserving biodiversity in a world that's facing such rapid change and such intense threats from climate change? Well, you know, in the end, it's biodiversity and biological systems that we we truly depend on uh, in all the wonders of things we can do with physics and computers and everything else. Uh, as wonderful as they are, don't replace natural systems. Uh, and just think about it in the following way. So like, like every minute, there are countless organisms, plant, animal, and microorganisms uh, inventing new solutions to environmental problems and problems of, of their own life histories. 
And any one of those at any time could turn out to be transformational in how the life sciences are understood and how they operate and how they actually also could benefit us directly. Uh, and to turn our back on that and to believe uh, that the internet will solve our problems, right? When you can't eat the internet uh, is just a, a foolish mistake. So actually, I was actually at a dinner in New York once where we all were introducing ourselves and what we did, and I explained what I did. And the person next to me said, "Well, well, that's interesting, but in a world of computers and the internet and all of that, how? Do, why does that matter?" And I just turned on him and I said, "You can't eat the internet." And he got it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm thinking there's more to to biodiversity than just eating it, though, right? What, of course. What are the other other things that you think, like as a as someone who's interested in conservation biology, we can use to argue that this is important, that you need to pay attention to this, even though maybe we should be focusing on um, electric vehicles, on on solar energy, or anything like that. Well, yeah, there's a whole series of practical solutions to practical problems that are engineering solutions. Uh, but if we really think about how the world works, it works as a combined physical and biological system. Uh, and it's, it's badly skewed at the moment. Uh, the best evidence, but not the only one, being the accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Uh, and biological systems can help us reduce that. So there is, there's so much excess CO2 in the atmosphere from degraded and destroyed ecosystems that it's literally equal to what remains in living ecosystems. It's a really big number. And if we systematically restore ecosystems, you know, restoring degraded grasslands, reforesting, restoring a coastal wetland, all of which we should want to do for the benefits that would flow from them in any case, uh, we literally can pull tens of parts per million of CO2 out of the atmosphere. Uh, it's not enough, mm -hmm. but as we, we face a world in which we really need to put on the brakes and stop at no more than one and a half degrees, we can't possibly even get there without using natural systems. So going off of that, how can conservationists work with policymakers to actually implement on a grand scale some of these solutions? Uh, I, first of all, I think, you know, we just need to take those mythical beasts, the decision makers. We need to take them by the hand and take them out into nature mm -hmm. and explain how the world actually works. Uh, and once they get their head around that, uh, they're going to see multiple opportunities to make a difference. And we also, each of us, can make a lot of suggestions to those policymakers. So I've, I've made a a practice of taking these mythical beasts called decision makers <laughs> to the Amazon forest uh, where they're away from the internet for three days and they have to listen to biodiversity uh, for 24 hours a day for three days and of course they 
a little bit of self-selection in who decides to go. Uh, but it's, it's transformational because it takes what they may have you know, come to in a sort of rational kind of way to something that they get in their gut. And they leave understanding that it's a living planet. And you don't have to take them to the Amazon to get that kind of effect. Right. Mm-hmm. So take them by the hand out into the forest, tell them it's okay, they'll survive, <laughs> it'll be fun. <laughs> and before you know it, they will have picked up values that they've just been unaware of. Um, okay, so I have another question. So you're at the Yale Environmental Dialogue Conference um, speaking about your big idea of leveraging natural systems. Um, can you talk a little bit about your big idea? Well, I mean, the issue is that uh, we are hurtling along in uh, a climate change trajectory, which is really dangerous. Uh, and we basically should be putting on the brakes really hard right now about burning the products of ancient ecosystems, which is what fossil fuels really are. Uh, but at the same time, we need to find ways to take CO2 out of the atmosphere uh, and try and get down to a level of, say, 350 parts per million uh, compared to the 280 pre-industrial level. Uh, and that would keep us sort of within the one and a half degrees. Uh, and how are you going to do that uh, when it's already up there? Well, you have to find ways to take it out. And if it turns out that through deforestation and bad treatment of the land and of uh, of the coastal wetlands and the rest, that we've actually been dumping CO2 into the atmosphere uh, at a rate not quite equal to burning of fossil fuels, but it's a big proportion annually. Uh, A, we can stop doing that, and B, we can flip it around uh, and do a lot of ecosystem restoration, get the benefits, and also lower CO2 levels. So a lot of people are pretty pessimistic about our chances to fight climate change. Is there anything going on right now that makes you optimistic? Well, you know, there are enough there are enough pieces around that show a true awareness around the world and uh, enough initial steps that I don't think it's ridiculous to think that we could step up our game. Uh, and that's basically what it has to be all about. This is not something we can take our sweet, good time, you know, getting around to. We've got to deal with it right now. Uh, and uh, I think one of the great things about ecosystem restoration is that suddenly it takes a problem that people sort of throw their hands up at and say, how can I possibly make a difference about something so big to something that actually every individual can contribute to by planting a tree or helping restore a wetland? Uh, kids can get into it, embarrass their parents in doing it, right? Uh, it's, it actually is something where the individual can make a serious difference.
that's a nice upbeat yeah. note to end on. To think well, that's true, you know, and then, get, and then they get out there and they get mud between their toes and, you know. Yeah, and then they realize <laughs> they love it. And that's great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's great. Thank you so much. Okay, well, thank um, you. It was fun. Taking time. Thank you. That does it for today's episode. Thanks again to Thomas Lovejoy for speaking with us. You can find out more about the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy at envirocenter.yale.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter at Yale Enviro.